I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome to a May edition of the Royal Horticultural Society's Gardening Podcast. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the team of horticultural advisors based here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. And what an incredibly beautiful place Wisley is to be and work at this time of year. At the moment, the Camassias are looking gorgeous up on Weatherhill, just to both sides of the Rose Garden. There are oceans of vivid blue naturalised in the grassland. Also at this time of year, it's the alpines that really shine. The rock garden and the alpine house area are all brimming with coloured gems, just waiting to be admired. You may well be inspired to grow them at home. This podcast, as the old ad goes, does exactly what it says on the tin. It's about gardening, all about gardening. The pleasures, the pitfalls, plants and people. It's made by people who know and love gardening, for people who love gardening and who'd like to know even more. Coming up in this edition, gardening in a changing climate. With the release of challenging new research by the RHS, scientists reveal the potential impact of climate change on gardens. What can gardeners do now to help reduce the impact of climate change on the natural world? What have you done to my favourite flowers? We solve the mystery of the disappearing plants at Wisley. Advice on key jobs to tackle in your garden this May. And, as always, the latest news on RHS shows and events. But first, James Armitage continues his strange encounters of the botanical kind as he continues his series of portraits on some of the more unusual plants in the Wisley collection. Gardens are full of stories. They are places tethered to times past and the thoughts and actions of people long gone. Like artefacts in a museum, the plants we grow are relics of adventure, high romance and mystery. Arches Garden Wisley in May has no shortage of spectacle to arrest the attention, but even in the midst of the visual splendour that confronts the eye at every turn, visitors may find themselves stopped in their tracks by the sight of two tree peonies planted in the hot borders near to the walled garden. They are the quintessence of early summer with their vast, white, bowl-shaped flowers, each crimped taffeta petal stained at the base with a blackish blaze. These are examples of Peonia Highdown, a plant with a past. Its story begins with Joseph Rock, botanist, anthropologist, linguist, explorer and plant hunter extraordinary. Born in Austria, Rock spent much of his 20s and early 30s in Honolulu, where he established Hawaii's first herbarium. But by 1924 he was bound for Asia, sent by the National Geographic Society and the Arnold Arboretum of Boston, Massachusetts, 
to collect seeds from the mountainous regions of Gansu province and surrounding areas of western China. For nearly two years, from April 1925, Rock was the guest of the Prince of Zhuoni and established his headquarters at a Lamazari, the name given to a monastery for Buddhist lamas. A number of peonies grew in the Lamazari garden and seed from these was collected in October 1925, being dispatched to the USA just before Christmas. They arrived at the Arnold Arboretum in February 1926, from where they were distributed to gardens across North America, Europe and Asia. However, of all the recipients of seed, only five succeeded in raising any plants. One of these was businessman, art collector, philanthropist and gardening enthusiast F. Cleveland Morgan of Montreal, Canada, who germinated a single seedling which he nurtured to flowering and fruiting size, subsequently allowing him to grow a new generation of plants. In 1936, one of these was sent to Haidoin, near Goring by Sea, Sussex, the garden which Colonel, later Sir, Frederick Stern, had carved out of a disused chalk pit on the South Downs. The new peony found the south of England much to its liking and flowered for the first time in 1938, greatly impressing its owner with its large, beautifully marked blossom. Fame of this startling introduction spread quickly through the gardening community and seedlings were widely distributed. These were somewhat variable plants, though all bearing the dark stain at the base of the petals to some degree. Over the years they have gone under a miscellany of names including Peonia rockii, Rock's Variety and Joseph Rock. They are now officially known as Peonia Gansu Group, while the plant originally sent to Frederick Stern from Canada has been given the name Hydoin. And so another jewel was added to the crown of British gardens, but what became of the participants in this tangled tale? The lamas who had made Joseph Rock their welcome guest were all killed in 1928, shortly after his departure, and the lamasery where they lived burned to the ground. Joseph Rock and Cleveland Morgan both died in 1962. Rock was aged 78 and left behind him a large body of scholarly work on the Nashi people of northwestern Yunnan, as well as a garden floor much enriched by his activities. Frederick Stern died, aged 83, in 1967, and the extraordinary garden he had created at Highdown passed into the hands of Worthing Borough Council. However, many of his plants still persist there, including his famous peony, which continues to flower in spectacular abundance. Plants grown from cuttings of Highdown were planted at Wisley in 1996, where they delight the thousands who troop past them each year, perhaps never imagining the trail spanning half the globe which has led them there. RHS botanist James Armitage. You can hear James's previous plant encounters on the RHS website. There you can also find more information and see beautiful photographs and botanical illustrations of the plants discussed. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash Wisley plant encounters. May is a time of fervent activity here at Wisley, this year more than ever, as the multi-million pound garden renovations and building projects continue apace. New facilities, borders and garden areas are taking shape rapidly. It's so exciting to see the garden refreshed and replenished, ready for the future. The garden teams are working flat out on the transformation, whilst keeping plants and visitors happy and the displays looking perfect. However, the movement of some long-established beds or garden areas surprises some visitors, leading to the shocked question, where have the plants gone? Fear not, they are in safe hands. My name is Sam Gallivan and I'm the team leader here in the nursery and propagation team at Wisley. 
Um, and one of the questions we've had is where have all the flowers gone in, at Wisley? Where have all the plants gone from all those empty beds that we see around? Well, they've not disappeared entirely. Um, we have, um, we've been lifting a lot of grasses from the large grass beds that we had at the front uh, by the restaurant. Um, a lot of those are, at the moment are um, bedded in down in the village um, where they've been stored so that when all the building work is all done that can be um, we can actually bring them back into the garden so they've not gone the exotic garden that was originally down by the restaurant if you looked out from the restaurant area um, that was all out there the bananas and all the more tropical trachycarpus again they've not disappeared they're up with us in propagation at the moment in one of our polytunnels they were lifted last autumn brought up to us in large tun bags they were quite large to begin with, about eight foot. But what we've been doing is we've been looking after them in prop over winter, making sure they haven't got too frosted. And they will go out this year in the new exotic garden, which used to be the old Jubilee Rose Garden. And don't worry about the roses. The roses that were in the Jubilee Rose Garden, we've actually taken those. They were stored with us for a month or so, and then they were taken away by a gardening charity. So they have been reused in a new site by a charity that are encouraging people to get back out gardening. Generally, if, if something changes in the garden, we do our best to use as many of the plants as we can. Um, we don't like to chuck anything away. The only time we would do it is if the plant isn't looking well or it's past its best, which is what most gardeners would do. So, but if it's still looking good and it's still looking like we could use it, it will get lifted, it will get brought up to us, we pot it up bring it back to a good quality and then it will go back out into the garden here or it will go out into the garden or go to another garden. Sam Gallivan, leader of the propagation team. You can find more information and practical tips on propagation and a wide variety of gardening tasks at rhs.org.uk forward slash advice. There you can also find guides to key seasonal jobs, video tutorials and much more. I'm Jenny Bowden and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. One of the most exciting new additions to Wisley that is under construction right now is a brand new exotic garden. I met up with Gemma Nietzsche to discuss the plans to bring a touch of tropical summer to our Surrey site and to see how work is progressing. So here we are on the edge of a lovely new garden which is in development it's certainly not here yet and I'm with Gemma who is a team leader in this particular area of the garden. Hello. So for a while now we've been walking past this particular area of the garden in which there is very little so far. It used to be one of our rose gardens but we have a brand new rose garden which has been developed in the past five years or so and it made our uh, other rose garden sort of um, a little bit of an extra uh, in the end so things move on and we're going to be having a new type of garden. Gemma, what is going to happen in this area? So this area is our new exotic garden. It's going to be uh, formally laid out with a central water feature um, with a tiered fountain and some nice benches so you can sit around the fountain. It's going to have an enclosed feel, so like a jungle kind of feel. You'll walk through different paths and find different benches that are secluded and you can sit and have a quiet moment of peace and reflection in different areas. And who's designed the garden for us? 
So Alex Wild, uh, he's a horticulturalist in the formal team. He's done the design. This is the area he looked after. He formerly looked after the Jubilee Rose Garden and he's been involved in creating the new design for the exotic garden. And what kind of plants can we expect to see in the new garden? So we've got lots of bananas that are already about eight foot tall some trachycarpus. Is that something that people can plant in their gardens quite reliably in, a, in the British climate? Yes, we'll protect them over winter. So we'll fl- wrap up the bananas and we'll protect the trachycarpus to start with until they get established and we'll just keep an eye on them, see how they do. What is a trachycarpus? It's a tall palm and it has like a coir kind of like bark on it. We've got some in the walled garden here at Wisley that are about 10 foot tall and they have quite unusual flowering, fruiting bodies on them. You kind of see them in Cornwall and Devon quite a lot. So what else have we got? So we've got lots of dahlias. One to look for is Karma Choc. That's a gorgeous deep red, almost like chocolatey red. It's a lovely one to look for. We've also got Eucomis Sparkling Burgundy, which is a pineapple lily. And it's got really lovely red, juicy foliage and the flowers come up and look like pink and then they turn to a fruit it looks like a mini pineapple that's red so we thought that would be quite fun and that goes with our colour scheme and will the dahlias and the eucomis stay in the ground all year the eucomis will stay in the ground Uh, we'll make sure they're mulched Uh, a lot of the gingers and cannas they'll stay in the ground the dahlias we might lift or we might give them a good mulch and see how they do it varies yeah it's slightly experimental isn't Mm. it really yeah and i do have to ask about slugs and snails (laughs) the plants you have just mentioned are some of their favorites eucomis you said lovely and juicy and it just (laughs) raised alarm bells in my head and also dahlias so tell me about how you're going to set about controlling those slugs and snails that's an interesting one um (laughs) Uh, We use, um, in the foliage garden, we have a problem with slugs on the hostas. So we use like um, a nematode and if you apply that early, kind of this time of year, um, it eats the slugs uh, before they, you know, do too much damage. So we might look at doing that because you water it on through a dosatron and that's a friendlier way of doing them rather than putting lots of chemicals down. We kind of want to avoid that where we can. Can you explain what a dosatron is? It controls the dose rate of fertiliser or something that you're putting through a watering system. So it allows you to regulate how much feed you're giving plants. So you can do big areas? Yes. Yeah, it's really useful. You can do containers so that as well. Back to the actual design of the garden and the development of the garden. At the moment, it's uh, sticks and measurements and um, some paths have been dug out. But apart from that, it's just bare earth. Um, how long are we going to have to wait till we see some plants going in? Well, hopefully today as we speak, we should be having a delivery of sculpings, which will form the base layer for the paving. So we've got York paving going down and it, with brick edging and as soon as the scalpings come in and get down on the paths that are dug out at the moment that will start to look like work is underway. So the paving will take up eight to nine weeks so end of June should be finished. Um, the central part of the water feature is being installed hopefully next week or the following week. 
So that will be good to actually see something quite get exciting. Get a real feeling of structure coming in. Yes, it's a bespoke design just for Wisley, so that's really exciting. And when are the plants going to be going in and when can we uh, organise our visits around, <laughs> around focusing on the new garden? So we're looking to get the big structural plants such as the bananas and the trachycarpus in end of May, um, depending on the stage the paving's at, and we'll keep planting from then on. So it'll be a work in progress and the opening will be in September. And of course, by the time you actually finish it and open in September, that's just when the type of plants that you're going to be planting are looking at their best. Yeah. So even in their first year, I think we're still going to see something really delightful. Mm. Thank you, Gemma. Why not come and see the exciting new plantings when you visit RHS Garden Wisley this summer? In the meantime, there are lots of events and activities for the whole family to enjoy at all four of our gardens. Here's a taste of what's on offer. The annual Rhododendron Weekend will once again return to celebrate the beautiful collections of rhododendrons at RHS Garden Harlow Carr on the 13th and 14th of May. Get expert advice and enjoy a walk in the woodland to discover the garden's rhododendron collection. Meanwhile, at Hyde Hall, it's the Wildlife Weekend as well as advisory stands, there'll be children's activities, bird and bug displays, walks around the estate and the opportunity to talk to our experts about wildlife in the garden. That's on the 13th and 14th of May. Join us at Rosemore on the 20th and 21st of May for the Devon Chili Fiesta. Our new garden room will house more than 30 of the top producers from all over the UK with chili plants, chili sauces, chili chocolate and chili preserves to try and buy. There will also be talks, live music and children's activities, including free face painting. And finally, Wisley holds the RHS Rhododendron, Camellia and Magnolia show on the 13th and 14th of May. Witness the masses of colour in the competition classes, learn about lime-tolerant rhododendrons, buy plants and get expert advice. Admission to all these events is free with normal garden entry, so if you're an RHS member, getting in won't cost you a penny. Full details of all events are on our website. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash event search. Now, as promised earlier, environmental news. Last week saw the RHS release a key scientific report, Gardening in a Changing Climate. We've been concerned for many years about how climate change will affect gardens, it will, it will change what gardens can grow and how we need to grow it. It also underlines the importance of halting the encroachment of paving and concrete on former gardens, grass and verges, the greying of our green Britain. Some of these challenges were originally examined in Gardening in the Global Greenhouse Report, which was published in 2002. Since then, a large amount of climate and horticultural science research has been carried out. The 2017 report Gardening in a Changing Climate, commissioned by the RHS, which was written in collaboration with the Universities of Sheffield and Reading, was published last week. It makes powerful reading, especially for garden lovers. We spoke to key contributors at the launch to find out about the findings of this research and the practical implications for gardeners. How can all of us make a difference? I'm Dr Alistair Griffiths. I'm the Director of Science and Collections for the Royal Horticultural Society. 
So we're at the launch of the, the climate change uh, report, which has gathered evidence around uh, looking at the importance of gardens, gardening in, in the realm of providing mitigation and adaptation to climate change. The whole day was really about, you know, what can uh, gardeners do? What do gardeners feel about, about climate change? And then what are the kind of pieces of work that we can do uh, and research that we can do towards helping and advancing mitigation and dealing with that change of uh, how we garden um, in the country whilst maintaining the beauty that as a nation and gardeners we enjoy. We've got a new climate change uh, report. We've got a summary document and a full document, which will, is available online for you to, to access and read. And, and I think, you know, through our advisory pages as well, there will be information in there that provides advice what to do. This is just the launch of a research, uh, launch of a report is linked to the research that we need to look at doing. So we've got to start filling in some of those gaps, which will help us to um, provide more solutions for gardeners uh, in a, an invariably... Uh, variable change in climate. So what are the experts projections of climate change? Meteorologist Peter Gibbs. Well we're certainly heading for a warmer future. Uh, there really is no doubt about that. Um, there are a lot of ifs and buts though. Predictions aren't easy, not least because it's hard to predict exactly what's going to happen to emissions. That depends entirely on our behaviour uh, over the next few decades. Even if we stopped all emissions tomorrow, there's still enough lag in the system that we would continue to warm for a considerable period to come. So the projections we're talking about are all based on a medium emission scenario where we do actually start to reduce emissions in a moderate way through the rest of the century. And we're looking ahead to, uh, towards the end of the century. Uh, worst case, winter temperatures rise on average by around 5 degrees. That's compared to the 61 to 90 average, with summer temperatures, average temperatures rising by as much as potentially six and a half degrees. So think about that for a moment. We've seen a month increase in the growing season with an average temperature rise of just under one degree. We're talking about several orders of magnitude bigger than that. Uh, a summer temperature currently would be a pleasant 21, 22 degrees, for example. A similar day in the latter part of the century an average temperature around 26, 27 degrees, a normal summer day. It is a very, very different environment. That's the sort of level of temperature we only reach a few days a year currently. Moving on to rainfall, um, I think it's fair to say there's rather greater uncertainty around these predictions because of that variability that we, we see in UK uh, rainfall because of those influences that I actually talked about. But the signals coming out of the predictions suggest wetter winters and drier summers, with the effects most pronounced across the southern half of the UK. And I should have mentioned that's the case with temperature as well. It looks like the biggest changes are likely to be across the southern half of the UK. But these are signals that are coming through uh, in terms of rainfall. And going back to what we said about uh, rainfall intensity, that also looks likely to increase in future as well. So when the rain does arrive, even in a drier summer, it's likely to be heavier and more intense. Meteorologist Peter Gibbs. What is the potential impact on the shape of domestic gardens? Arit Anderson won a gold medal for the garden she designed last year at the RHS Hampton Court Palace Flower Show. Her design highlighted the importance of climate change. 
As garden designers, um, we are creative and I feel that we have the opportunity to view each garden as a carbon store. Um, and really, we need to start thinking about three things, temperature control, water management and ground carbon storage. And think about what our role is, is to make sure that we're supporting the microclimate in that we have the right soil, that supports the right plants in the right place with the right conditions to encourage the right organisms and insects to keep those plants healthy which in turn will keep CO2 in the ground and encouragingly we are seeing more clients asking for more wildlife um, gardens. Gardens are a microcosm of our wider world and we need to regard them as precious carbon stores um, really and really help to kind of you know, help change the global mindset. You know, we've got a lot of um, farmland um, that's kind of you know every minute we're losing about 30 football pitches worth of farmland um, out there which is obviously they are valuable carbon stores so if we can act as a very good example to you know um, our communities about what good gardening is I think that's going to be um, really really good. Garden designer, Arit Anderson. So what can we gardeners do now to help slow the process of climate change and adapt our plots, plants and techniques to meet the challenges ahead? I've got Lee here with me and we're going to have a chat about what this report actually means to gardeners in real life, as it were. I think perhaps part of the message is that there are things we can do now and there's also in the future. We're, we're looking quite long term in this report, aren't we? So perhaps we can look mm. at it in a bit of a staged way. Yes, you're absolutely right. These predictions are for 2100 and the mm. um, actual things in the booklet which people can see online show what gardens are going to be like in 2100 according to the climate change predictions mm. and indicate what gardens might look like then. There is that element as well, is they're likely to look different around the country because we know that the predictions mean that it's going to be generally hotter and drier in the summer and we will have extreme rainfall events. So those winter, summer storms and winter storms that bring wind and wet. But the overall thing is, of course, it's going to be very variable. Learning to cope with that, learning to cope with the weather that climate change brings is something that gardens, I think, have long been very good at. And we call it green fingers. That, uh, in that sense, I mean that people often know the best time to do things because they can sense from their past experience when to go out and to sow or to plant a potato or to harvest a crop. And I think that sense of understanding what's going on in your garden becomes more important. But at the same time, what we're trying to set out in the information provided is to indicate really the kind of trends that we're going to get so that you begin to understand it's not just your fault. It, it is perhaps weather patterns changing with the climate and you'll need to adapt. And it indicates how that might adapt in your area. There's, there's a difference between weather and climate, but we're getting a lot of sharp rainfall. We, we, we're seeing more uh, weather events such as a lot of rain in a very short amount of time. And so there are ways in which we can actually make use of that and turn it to our advantage, aren't there, with um, so we could we could do things like um, maybe put rain butts into the garden. There are there are various systems that you can you can actually harvest an awful lot of rain uh, for the drier spells. This is the key, really, where you're trying to turn famine into feast. We know that if we have dry periods, we're going to need water. But if we're getting the stream rainfall events, that water just comes in one big hit. 
Now, there's plenty of places you can collect water off, whether it's from the roof on your shed or from a flat roof, and that can be channeled into water butts, or even if you've got the room, more expensive rainwater harvesting systems that can collect a lot of water. Um, and it's thinking as well about things like um, paving. Obviously, that surface will collect water. Can that be channeled into beds and borders so that it actually will soak it up into the garden where it's really useful? That's just one example of how you kind of start to manage the mitigation of it. But thinking about other things as well, if it's going to be hotter, we might need to cool the air. And one of the things that does that very well is the evaporation of moisture from plants and by the shade that they produce. So, for example, putting in a deciduous tree on the south facing side um, means that it shades the house in the summer keeps it cooler but then it loses its leaves in winter so the sun can still get through and keep it nice and warm. Those are things that we can actually be doing right now in in preparation some of those effects we're already seeing. How might things change in the slightly longer term? Will we for example still have lawns? Oh it's a good question will we still have lawns and yes we know that um, a lawns need long consistent moist spells through the summer so it's the typical thing where you'd have a bit of drizzle now and again and that will keep it green through the summer and of course we know from the droughty years that we've had that they tend to go brown very quickly when we, we don't get that moisture obviously that is predicted to become more of a trend that the summers will be generally hotter and drier so brown lawns are going to become more of a feature of gardens so we could well find that the traditional stripy lawn is something of an historical feature in gardens and if you haven't got the water you won't be able to maintain it. So it does make you think about options. Now the report highlights that we could go for different types of lawns. This could be the, the kind of thing where we make low-growing mats of different types of plants such as flowering plants. We could go for meadow, meadow plantings where it's suitable as well but using more things like South African bulbs to give that sort of added interest. So it's not going to replace the lawn in the traditional sense, but it might still be as ornamental. Really, it's also thinking about the parts of the country where this is going to be most of an issue. So we still know that uh, the north of England is likely to have pretty much the same amount of summer rain. And as long as it doesn't get really hot in the summer, which there is a chance of, English lawns stay potentially very viable. But as we go down to more East Anglia, Southeast, and across until it gets wet into the West Country, that's where the biggest challenge for the lawn will be in the future. Really what we're saying is grow what grows well in your garden. And that kind of means what grows well now, and if it stops growing well, change it in the future. But that's how we adapt over time. It's not kind of, right, look in the predictions that we put online today, you should be out there changing the structure of garden, putting in raised beds and making rain gardens immediately, because that might not be the conditions you have now. You've got to grow for what you have. And then if things don't do well, look at these options as potential solutions for the future. It's just gardening in general, isn't it? That just sums up gardening, what you've just said, I think. It's, it is about experimentation, so that's lovely. You can read the full report and find out more on our website at rhs.org.uk forward slash climate hyphen change. I'm afraid that's all we have time for in this podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight when we'll be going behind the scenes at a frantic week of garden building before this year's Chelsea Flower Show. 
Until then, remember you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. For now, from me, Jenny Bowden and all the podcast team, thank you for listening. Goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.